So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 21, and uh, it's verse 2 through verse uh, 35. The title of the message is Demolishing Demonic Strongholds. And uh, I'm going to focus for a little bit of, of the message, um, talking about, and, and by the way, it's verse 21 through verse 35, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Ah, king of Bashan, uh, and we'll talk about these two kings that God told Israel to eliminate, destroy, and demolish. So Numbers chapter 21, verse 21 through 35, stand with me for the reading of the word. Then Israel sent messengers, uh, messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into the fields or the vineyards. We will not drink water from wells. We will go by uh, the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through this territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness. And he came to Jahaz and he fought against Israel. Then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok as far as the people of Ammon. For the border of the people of Ammon was fortified. So Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelt in the cities of the Amorites, in Heshbon, and in its villages. For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab, and had taken all his land from his hands as far as the Arnon. Therefore those who speak in the Proverbs say, Come to Heshbon, let it be built, let the city of Sihon be uh, repaired. For fire went out from Heshbon, a flame from the city of Sihon. It consumed Ar of Moab, the lords of the heights of Arnon. Woe to you, Moab, you have perished, O people of Chemosh. He has given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity to Sihon, king of the Amorites. But we have shot at them. Heshbon has perished as far as the Dibon. Then we laid waste as far as Nophah, which reaches to Mediba. Thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. Then Moses sent to spy out Jazar, and he took its villages and drove out the Amorites who were there. And they turned and went up by the way of Bashan. So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them, and he and all his people, to battle at, at, at Dre. And then the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand with all his people and his land, and you shall do to them as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon. So they defeated him, his sons and all his people, until there was no survivor left, and they took possession of the land. Holy Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would send your spirit upon us tonight. Give us a fresh anointing to understand your word. Understand the spiritual battle that is going on here, Lord God, in Israel. Understand the spiritual battles, Lord God, that you have called us to fight. There are strongholds that the enemy, Lord God, will build in a person's life, in a country, in a church. And Lord God, you have called on us, just as you did the Israelites, to destroy those strongholds and set the captives free. So I pray, Lord God, tonight as we sit at your feet, we open our ears, we look into your face, Lord God, with our eyes, and we seek, Lord God, to know and do your will and your word. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So, Sihon from Heshbon and Og of Bashan, they are mentioned numerous times throughout the Bible. 
In Psalm 135, verse 10 through 12, he defeated many nations and slew mighty kings. This is talking about God. Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and he gave their land as a heritage, the heritage of the Israel people. Uh, again, in Psalm 136, verse 17 through 19, to him who struck down great kings, for his mercy endures forever, and he slew famous kings. And his mercy endures forever, Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endures forever. And um, essentially, again, you see Sihon, okay, king of the Amorites, and Ah, king of Bashan, again, mentioned over and over and over again. Why? When God mentions something repeatedly, you know, it's, it's, it's good to take notice. What is God trying to, to show us here? So I'll, I'll go back with you to Numbers 21, 33-35. Let me just read this to, about Og. It says, And they turned and went up by the way of, uh, to Bashan. Uh, so Og, king of Bashan, went out against them, he and his people, to battle at Adrei. And then the Lord said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him into your hand with all his people and his land. Notice that his land... And you shall do with him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon. Heshbon is the geographical area that Sihon, king of the uh, Amorites, dwelt in. Bashan is the geographical area that um, Og and his people dwelt in. So, so they defeated him, his sons, his people, until there was no survivor left, and they took possession of the land. Here is, here is the land. Now, just to, to look at that, this is, this is Canaan, okay? This is Israel. This would be Israel today. You have the Mediterranean Sea here, Israel here, and this land is everything east of the Jordan. This is where Israel, again, is traveling through right now as they approach and will cross over the Jordan and enter the Promised Land. Heshbon, okay, is, again, this is, again, where you have uh, the king uh, of the south, Sihon. The king of the north, this is uh, Bashan, and this is where Og, king of Bashan, okay, dwelt in. Again, what is significant uh, about that? When Israel conquered them, and they divided up, they divided up the land, now you see the, the entire division of all the 12 tribes. East of the Jordan, okay, Reuben, Gad, and actually it's, we call it East Manasseh. You have West Manasseh, East Manasseh. The tribe of Manasseh inhabited both the uh, promised land and then east of the promised land. But this is the land that they took. Now, I think that is something that is significant as to why it's mentioned here. Okay, And these two kings are mentioned here. Israel displaced them, defeated them, destroyed them, conquered the land. They essentially had a stronghold there. We'll get, into, we'll get into this to understand this. Now, I'm going to take you to Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11 through 14. Again, you have here, uh, Og is mentioned. It says here, for only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Indeed, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. It is not uh, in Rabbah of the people of Ammon. Nine cubits in its length and four cubits in its width, according to the standard of the cubit. And his land, which uh, we possessed at that time from Aor, which is by the river Arnon, and half the mountains of Gilead and the cities, I gave to the Reubenites. This is, again, the division of the land. 
and the Gadites and the rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh. All the region of, of Argob uh, with all Bashan was called the land of the giants. Notice that, the land of the giants. Jer the son of Manasseh took all the region of Argob as far as the border of the Gershites, the uh, Makshathites, and uh, called Bashan after his own name, Havoth Jer, to this day. Now, in the Talmud, okay, the Talmud is a commentary on the Old Testament, some good things, some things that are a little uh, weird and out there. In the Talmud, the um, rabbis, they taught that Og of uh, Bashan um, and Sihon, king of the Amorites, that they were actually brothers. And they were descendants of the Nephilim, descendants of the giants. Now, it, just with what I had just read to you from verse 11, for Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Indeed, his bedstead was of uh, iron, uh, an iron bedstead. Uh, it is um, not in Rabbah of the people of Ammon, nine cubits in length and four cubits in width, according to the standard. Notice it, it says uh, he, he was a remnant of the giants. He remained of the remnant of the giants. There was a remnant of the giants that were dwelling in Israel. Now, there were a number of other of these giants. Even after Og of Basham was killed, he wasn't the last giant to be killed, right? As you go through and you look at numbers, you get into Deuteronomy and then you get into Joshua, you get into 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel Chronicles, you see that there were other giants. Like here, here in Joshua chapter 11, verse 21 through 22, says, then Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim. The Anakim were another tribe of giants, from the hill country, from Hebron to Debir, from Anab to the hill country of Judah, and from the hill country of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. There was no Anakim left in the land of the sons of Israel, only in Gaza and Gath and Ashdod, some remained. Second Samuel chapter 21, verse uh, 20, there was a war at Gath, again, and there was a man of great stature who had six fingers and, uh, on, on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. He also had been born a giant. Who else came from Gath who was a giant? Goliath. Goliath. Why did David take five stones to kill Goliath? Because he had four brothers. Good, good notice there. By the way, here's, here's a, a picture. This, this is, um, it's, a, it's not the actual um, bed, okay, of Og of Bashan. But um, if you'll notice here, this, this, was an, an, this is a, uh, essentially a stone carving that was found, um, again, in antiquity from that time. And if you'll notice here, he's on a bed. And notice the servants, how small they are. So if, if Og of Bashan, if he had a bed that was, essentially his bed would have been 13 and a half feet long and six feet wide. For, for a, a person to be sustained by a bed like that, it, it's probably 10 or 11 feet tall. So that's something to, uh, you know, he was, he was, he was big. Numbers, numbers 13.33, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Enoch, again, came from the giants. And they said we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Again, this is Israel. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago when they sent in the spies. I think it's an exaggeration. I said, you know, if they were grasshoppers, it would be, you know, 
they would have been about the size of the sole of your foot. So it's an exaggeration, but they apparently were, were, were big people. Where did they come from? Were they just through, right, natural development that just some people were really big? You got NBA basketball players. The new player that's coming on, I think he's seven foot four. Shaq could have been a Nephilim, right? <laughs> so you go back with me to Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 9. So the word of God says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, the, the word there in Hebrew is the ben Elohim, and Ben Elohim is used, okay, in this verse, and then it is used four times in the book of Job. And it always, in the book of Job, refers to angels, the Ben Elohim, the sons of God. So it says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. So these are talking about the Ben Elohim, these are fallen angels. So one of the verses that people will, when I, when I taught on this passage is, Jesus said, right, we will be like the angels in heaven and we won't procreate. That is the angels in heaven. So I'm talking about fallen angels. Angels could appear like men. Now, was it, was it sexual intercourse? I don't know. Because I think they could do a whole lot of other things. But somehow, they took human, the human genome from women, and they had sexual relations or somehow some type of procreation. And then it, it, it says here in verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit will not strive with man forever, for he has indeed flesh, and yet his days shall be 120 years. Now watch this again. All of a sudden, verse 4, there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards. I want you to notice there were giants. It's like something happened here with human women and the Ben Elohim that somehow produce these Nephilim, the word there for giants is Nephilim. Nephilim is a much better translation because it's, it's, it's much broader than just simply a giant. There were, again, these Nephilim on the earth in those days, but also notice afterwards. That's important. I'll show you why in, in just a minute. When the sun's of God came, notice again, there were giants on earth in those days and after when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. So what is, what is it saying? What is the word of God here saying? What produced these Nephilim? That these Ben Elohim, fallen angels, somehow cohabitated with women, producing this unnatural offspring. Those were the mighty men, the word is Gibor, the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. I think that word Gabor carries with it, men of violence. And then the Lord's, Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of his thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. I just want you to notice perfect in his generations. You know what that is? That's perfect in his genome. Perfect in his DNA. 
it seems like the DNA of the human race was contaminated. And I think it also affected the entire natural realm. I just want to say this to you. There are three places in the Bible where God wipes out, I mean, entire generation. Noah's flood, Sodom and Gomorrah. What's the third, the third time? It, and it hasn't happened yet. The third time it happens, those who receive the mark of the bees. And you look at that and you say, well, God is a God of love. God is a God of compassion. God is a God who wants no one to perish. And all of a sudden you see him just wiping out these people. And you're going to see it with these tribes. I had a hard time. I had a hard time with that. As a, as a believer who came to believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he died for my sins and he loved me. And then I see in the Old Testament God saying to Moses or Joshua, David, go out and wipe them out. Go and wipe, wipe the entire tribe. Kill all the animals too. Wipe, and I, I look at that and it's like, is God a homicidal maniac? It's tough reconciling. So I, I believe what, what happened here, I believe the genome was totally distorted and demonic. When Adam Eve sinned and the curse was pronounced on Satan, this is in um, Genesis chapter 3.15, right? It, it says that Satan has an offspring. So we look at them and say, well, those are just people who are unbelievers. No, I don't, I don't believe these people are unbelievers. I believe Satan has an offspring. This was his offspring. So when you come now to a number of years later, and again, this becomes the thing, where do they come from? Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 9. This, this helped me. Let me tell you, this passage opened up my understanding and brought me to a place of peace with God with what I read in the Old Testament. So you come, you come to the, the, this time now, and this is, this is one of the questions. So God wipes out the human race with the flood. He wipes out everything. And it's, it's repeated in, in Genesis 8, I think it's repeated like five or six times. He destroyed everything. But now you see the giants again on the earth after the flood. How did that happen? So there are, different, there are different suggestions. So um, there is a suggestion that they were very smart and they went underground. And after the flood, they came up from the ground. I don't believe that. Another one was that they somehow survived the flood. And again, that's contradictory to what it tells us in, in Genesis 8, that everything was wiped out. Another, another idea is that Noah's... Um, sons married three women, and that one of the women, their genome was infected, which almost sounds like God made a mistake. There is, there is something very interesting. If you look at Ham and then his son Canaan, because it seems that something is happening through Canaan where these giants came from, I think the most likely explanation is that there was another incursion. These angels, okay, who did this in the time of Noah, they were locked away in prison. We know that from the book of Jude and Peter. They were locked away. That's when Jesus went, it says Jesus went to the prison and he preached. He wasn't talking to the people. 
in the day of Noah. He was, I, I believe he was preaching to the fallen, fallen angels. And uh, I think that's what that, you know, that passage in Peter explains. But I think there had to have been another incursion that another group of angels decided to cohabitate with women. Now, let me just give you from, you do a little research. I, I mean, you can go back into the archives and this was stuff that I've taught on on Wednesday nights. I've taught about the Nephilim. I've taught about it extensively. I, I mean, I've gotten into the civilization, the archaeology. There's, there's things that are, are just totally unexplainable. And if you ever watched, and I, I do watch this, these shows, so if you're going to watch it, pray up, make sure you're, you're grounded in the word. But do you ever watch these shows about ancient aliens? There's all these things that have happened around the world. I, I, you know, they'll say they're aliens. I believe that these things that we find in antiquity and archaeology were things that were happening through the Nephilim. So here's, here's what Israel in the time would have... Um, I'm sorry. Again, let me go back. That is, a, that is a map, and it gives you, again, an idea. These are where all of these tribes... And again, these are... Nephilim descendants. So you have the, the Rephaim, okay, the Zuzim, the Emim, the Horim, uh, the Anakim, all of these different, they, they inhabited, okay, Israel. And God is saying now, this is the promised land that I've given you, you've got to go there, and you've got to basically dislodge and destroy them. Now, just real quick here, just if you go and you start to, you know, pull up Nephilim, you start to do a little research on YouTube, do some research, get some books, you can do some research on, you know, Google. I just want to say there's a whole lot of things that are fake. So just really be careful. There are some things that are real, such as in, uh, this is called the Irish Giant, which I believe is like 10 feet tall. Uh, that's another picture of the Irish giant. This is another picture that I think I think is is was a true picture of something that was discovered here on this continent. And then you start looking at at newspaper articles, and there's tons of them of discoveries. A lot of this was happening at the the end of the 1800s, the beginning of the 1900s, and you know giant skeletons found skeletons right uh, of 16 giants discovered in Minnesota men eight feet, eight, 8 feet tall roaming on local forests ancient burial ground uncovered so there's a lot of just a lot of things a lot of people there's a there's a theory that the smithsonian basically was confiscating these bones and the problem is is it interfered with their evolutionary beliefs, and that the bones disappeared. Now, there's a real debate about, uh, about this. There are still these giant skeletons being found around the world in South America, in the United States. It was just, there were just a finding in Romania. Again, these, these aren't NBA basketball players. Some of these things are 9, 10 feet tall. So it's, it, it's different. Now, our friend, L.A. Marzulli, if you want to, it, it's uh, on Kindle, but he wrote a book called Counter Move, and uh, essentially how the Nephilim returned after the flood. He gives you some ideas about what I was just talking to you about, about you know the possibility of one of um, you know Noah's daughter-in-law, or you know that it, there was a, a, a second incursion. I want to I want to just show you something though, just to affirm that the Promised Land, again, it was the Promised Land 
given to Abraham. It was then repeated to Isaac, repeated to Jacob, it's repeated to Moses. So in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, and by the way, the devil understood this. He knows the word of God real well. It says, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Notice the last verse here. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What was he talking about? Talking about Messiah. Talking about Jesus. That last, that last phrase, I mean, you know, we, we, were just, we were just singing that all the nations, right? All the nations are going to come to know him. You know, think about Israel, this tiny little dot on the map, about the size of New Jersey, maybe a little bigger than New Jersey, this little dot on the map, that is who God chose to reveal himself to. And then he said, through you, you're going to be a light to the entire world. Think of the time we live in. The gospel is spread throughout the world. Every nation has been touched by the gospel, by, G- by Jesus. That's what this is talking about. So say, Satan knew. Now, God was going to do that through Abraham's descendants. And they are going to go into the promised land. They're going to establish the promised land, right? And that the Messiah is going to be born in the promised land. And that he is going to bring salvation to all the nations of the world. Don't you think Satan would want to interfere with that? So what Satan does, he establishes a stronghold. A demonic stronghold. Of his offspring of the, essentially, the, the descendants of the Nephilim, and again, all these different tribes. This is what Israel is now coming to. But you think about when they sent in the spies, how terrified the ten were, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, because they're looking, and well, they're seeing cities with giant walls. Jericho had giant walls. And then they're seeing these giant beings, I mean, they were terrified in their, in, their, you know, in their humanity, not looking at it again through faith and believing that God was the one who was going to give them victory. So again, you, you have strongholds. Now, how does this relate to us? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. But mighty, the word there, mighty, is dunamis. What did Jesus say in Acts chapter 1, verse 8? You shall receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, shall be my witnesses, right? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. God gives us power to pull down strongholds. The word there, the word there, pull down is demolish, destroy, ekorama, to destroy these strongholds. I want to share something with you here. Demons, where they come from? So we 
most of us, we would say, they're fallen angels. There are some scholars, rabbis, in fact, this is, a, this is a widely held belief by the rabbis, post-destruction of Babylon, by the way, you know what's something, when Babylon was destroyed, they were destroyed, uh, I'm sorry, when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem and Israel, took them captive, the main reason that God used Babylon as his tool to destroy uh, the temple and destroy the city was because of their idolatry. They were sacrificing their children, right, to, um, to Dagon, to Chemosh, Molech. And um, because of their idolatry. By the way, after, after the Babylonian captivity, Israel never went back to that idolatry. Now, they, they, for the most part, rejected Messiah when he came. But they were no longer worshipping the pagan gods. They were no longer worshipping Molech, Ebal, Ashtoreth, or um, Chemosh. So they, they didn't return back to it. And during that period, that, that post, um, again, that post-temple uh, destruction period, the rabbis taught that essentially demons were not fallen angels, that they were the disembodied spirits of the giants and the, the Nephilim. And there's a lot of Christian scholars who uh, believe, I would say that most believe that demons are fallen angels, but there are some who believe that these demons, okay, are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. I just want to, I, I just want to, something that was always puzzling to me. Angels are glorious, right? They are, they are glorious. And, and you know, even it's a Satan appears as an angel of light. It's, it's, he's evil, but he's, he's glorious, right? There's this great power and might that God has, you know, God has given him. And I always had a hard time with when Jesus cast out the demons, right, the, the demoniac, um, a legion of demons, legion of, defi- I mean, thousands of demons, they wanted to go into pigs. So, so it tells me something. They like to be in warm flesh. They'll find, find a body that's warm, they want to get in there. But I, I just, I have a hard time with the glorious angels wanting to be in pigs. Now, now look, I, I understand human beings who are created in the image and likeness of God can end up in a pig pan eating pig slop, right? That's, and you see people and how, how low can a human being go, we see that. With people sometimes we love. But, but these angels wanting to go into pigs, uh, uh, you know, in Ephesians, when we were looking at this a few weeks ago, there are principalities, there are powers, rulers of darkness, uh, spiritual hosts of wickedness. It seems like, again, that's an angelic hierarchy or a demonic um, fallen angel hierarchy. And I, I, I look at that and I, I, I wonder, again, are the hosts of wickedness is that talking about angels, or is that, again, could that possibly be the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim? By the way, nowhere in the scriptures, nowhere, does it say that demons are fallen angels. just want you to, to stop, because, again, this is what we have been told. Demons are fallen angels. In fact, to the point where, when I, when I suggested this, to uh, another pastor, he looked at me like I was a total heretic. And I said to him, well, show me in Scripture where 
demons or fallen angels. And nowhere in scripture does it say that. So do I think, do I think that it's, it's, it's I mean, am I, am I definitive, am I definite that these demons are, you know, the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim? No. But I think that it is something that, that is, could be, you know, could be probable. So if you look at this again, you know, whether they're fallen angels or whether they are the disembodied spirit of the Nephilim, God calls us to demolish these demonic strongholds that these demons establish. The word, the word there for stronghold, it's, I mean, a, a, a good word, is, it's like a castle. Like being imprisoned in a castle. That, that the enemy can imprison people, right, in that castle of captivity, and it, it could be an imprisonment of sin. Right? People become, again, so controlled that they lose their ability, right, to be able to break free from some sin habit. And that could, be, that could be doubt, that could be fear, that could be worry, it could be anxiety, it could be lust, it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, some sin addiction, pornography, unforgiveness, bitterness, witchcraft, uh, the occults, um, sodomy. It could be any of these things. Usually people that get, that get entrapped in these things, right, it's like, again, it's a stronghold in their life that they cannot get out of. It could be a stronghold, in an individual. It could be a stronghold in a family. It could be a stronghold in the church. It could be a stronghold in the government. It could be a stronghold in the culture. So what are we called to do? And I'll tell you, this is a major thing that we are here to do tonight. Do you know people who the enemy has in a stronghold? And the word of God, again, in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. We are called to engage in pulling down strongholds. How do you do that? Well, I'll tell you, Jesus, Jesus laid out, he, he laid it out for us. When he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, um, John, and, and James are with him, Right, you know the, the, the situation. By the way, I believe the Mount of Transfiguration was Mount Hermon. So when, when Jesus took the apostles um, up onto the mountain, he said to them, who do you say that I am? It was Caesarea Philippi, which is right at the foot of Mount Hermon. You know what that is? That's Bashan. I've walked amongst the mountains of Bashan. I never went up to Mount Hermon because it's usually covered with snow. But Jesus took them up to some point of Mount Hermon. And that's where the Mount of Transfiguration, I believe, happened. The, the tradition says it was Mount Tabor. I don't believe it was Mount Tabor. It's in another, another location. So this is what it tells us. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into water trying to kill himself. This is a father, I mean, just, have you ever had a child suffering? You know, we had our son 
who was diagnosed with a, um, a thoracic tumor that was the size of a volleyball in his chest. Meanwhile, the kid, the kid is training, going through police academy, and he finds out he has this thing. Let me just tell you about, you know, a parent and how you pray for a child like that. And the, the, I mean, the pain and the sleepless nights, just everything that, 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 that brings into your life. Well, that's what this father is, is going through. His, his little boy has some type of spirit in him, and the kid is throwing himself in the water. I mean, you turn around, he's throwing himself in the water trying to drown himself, or you turn around and he's throwing himself into a fire. So this, this father, I mean, he's, he's, he's in agony. Loving father. So I brought him, verse 16, to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall, you, shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? And by the way, he's talking about his, his apostles here. He's talking about the nine that were down at the foot of the mountain, not the three that were up on the mountain with him, but they, they couldn't do it. So he says, bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? You don't just, this is the devil who has a stronghold on this boy's life. We don't know why. You know, we, we have come to understand when the devil gets a stronghold in an adult's life, there's usually decisions they have made that have opened the doors to the demonic. But this is a little kid. And, and the word here, he's, he's a young boy. He's not a, not a teenager. And somehow there was a doorway that opened. And maybe, again, it could, this could be something that was done by the parents, the grandparents, something that was done in the community. But some doorway was open for the devil to get control and build a stronghold into this child's life, ultimately trying to destroy the child. So Jesus said to them, verse 20, because of your unbelief. I just want you to notice that, because of your unbelief. You could not cast out this demon. You could not break this child free from the stronghold the enemy has placed upon him because of your lack of faith. Because if you, uh, because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So then verse 21, he says, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. In the context, what produces this kind of faith to demolish the strongholds of the enemy? Prayer and fasting. By the way, if you have a Bible that's, that says just prayer, uh, I believe fasting, <laughs> that's why we use the New King James Version here and we don't use the NIV. The, uh, the manuscripts from, that were basically used for the King James and the New King James Version has prayer and fasting. But it's through, it's through prayer and fasting. I think about this. When you pray and fast, you, you have... The devil could have a stronghold in your life. There could be somebody that you love that the devil has a stronghold. People, you know, somebody called me um, 
this morning, a sister here in the church, she said that a friend of hers, her 17-year-old son, was killed in a motorcycle accident, hit in Paramus from behind by a drunk driver. A 17-year-old boy was killed. And she was asking me, how, you know, how can I witness, you know, to, um, you know, to her? And I said, right now, she doesn't want to have anything to do with God. She wasn't a religious woman, you know, or, you know, a church-going person. She wants nothing to do with God. I said, she's angry at God right now. I said, what you need to do first is you need to pray before you, you even try sharing any words with her. And I said, you need to love her, but you need to pray. But, you know, do you have people in your life that the devil has built a stronghold around, and they're unbelievers. He blinds the eyes of unbelievers. That's a stronghold. It could, it could be that there's affliction, that there's oppression, and right out demon possession, but the enemy, enemy gets a stronghold on people, and again, if we're going to have success destroying that stronghold, we need to be a people who are praying and fasting. So just to understand, we understand, we talk you know, a lot about prayer. Fasting is, is essentially just, you know what, we're getting away from food, and that's good. But just getting away from the stuff of the world so that you could pray and you can get in the spirit with God. So it might be getting rid of, you know, putting down the, your phone, Turning off the TV, turning off the computer, just getting in a you know getting in a quiet place. It's good. I I do intermittent fasting. In fact, I was reading a book today about fasting. It had nothing to do with the spirit, but I will you know eat my last meal you know in the evening, and then I don't eat again until the afternoon. Sometimes I'll even go you know further in, in, in the day. But again, that's that, I do that for, for physical for physical benefits. To doing them for spiritual benefits, the idea is you are separating from food, or you're separating from the things of the world, even separating from people, to get along with God, to have Him empower you. And again, when you when you are doing that with the intention of again, it, it could be a stronghold in your life or with somebody you love, or in the church, or in our culture. The devil's got massive strongholds on this country right now. That's where, again, the breakthrough happens. The faith rises, and then that stronghold could be torn down, and the child could be set free. So again, I don't, I don't know quite, you know, what we battling the disembodied spirits of Nephilim on my battling this you know the the um, fallen angels they're, they're they're powerful and God has given us again power that power can be unleashed essentially through faith that flows from prayer and fasting amen, amen. let's all stand I'll ask him to come up and lead us in and worship then we're going to come right up fill up the front row we're going to go into prayer Oh, yeah. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. Lord God, you've called us, Lord, to be about your business. You've called us that while we wait here on this earth, Lord God, for your coming or for us to go home and be with you, we should be about your business. We talk tonight about being about your business. That you have, Lord God, you have offered us 
the mighty power of God, the dunamis power of God, the same power, Lord God, that you cast out that demon from that young boy with. Lord God, let us just take to heart. Let us be about your business. Let us become a people, Lord God, of devotion, of prayer and fasting. And let us operate in that power and that faith to set the captives free, to tear down the strongholds. For in Jesus' name we pray this, amen.